This morning we're kicking off a series called um, Church, um, Why Bother? Um, and you think, hey, honor, this is, you literally are preaching to the choir this morning. Um, you are sitting in church, and so why would you need to hear that? So there's two of us this morning. Maybe you're in church this morning, and you're not sure, convinced that gathering on a Sunday is critical and important to God and to yourself and to your neighbors and to the city. And maybe this morning, I'm trusting that we're going to take a step in the right direction and align our desires with God's desires for us. Or maybe you're sitting and you are completely in and committed and you know the value of belonging and gathering on a Sunday with fellow believers. Um, and maybe this morning, what I'm going to give you, maybe one or two little things that you can take to your friends who are struggling, who have given up on church and aren't bothering with church or gathering with the church anymore. I'm so, so I'm hoping it's going to be a, a bit of that. Um, so why does believers or why does gathering on Sundays matter to God? The question we're going to start off this morning is why does it matter to God that we gather? Does it even matter? Does, is God bothered that we gather on a Sunday? He's all sufficient, all knowing. He doesn't need it, but does he desire it? And so on. I wish I was 80 years old. I'm also very glad that I'm not 50 yet. And why do I say that? I wish I was, I wish I was 80 years old because if I was 80 years old, I would have grown up in a culture where if you were a Christ follower, it was normal and it was the thing to do to belong to a local church. My 80-year-old granny, 90-year-old grannies, for them it's weird that Christians think it's an option to go to church. They grew up with a culture where if you were a Christ follower, you went to church. It was like, that's it. There wasn't any other option. I'm glad I'm not 50 yet. Why? Because I'm young enough to believe that God would use us, and us as a church and even me to change the, the flow the, or stem the tide that's moving in a direction where Christ following, being a Christ follower is divorced from belonging to a local church. And I have faith. I, I, when I prepared this, there's something in me going, come on, honor, this is the fight we're fighting for. We're going to do this thing. And you're young enough. I spoke to Riggs in Cape Town. He said, honor, you're young enough. You've got one more big fight in you. Go for it kind of thing. One more. I'm going, oh, I'm not in 50 yet, Riggs. Give me. Give me some space here. Why are we doing this series? Is it a reaction to people taking time and their time coming back from COVID to church gatherings and we're nervous and going, hey, where are our people? Statistics um, are distressful at the moment. So all the stats when they look at church gatherings across the globe at the moment are predicting that in 2022, only 66%, two-thirds of normal or church, regular church attenders will be back. It means over the last two, three years, the global church, a third of the church, would make a decision not to return to gathering again, to stay online, watch YouTube, listen to podcasts, or download their favorite preaching series. I don't know how that makes you feel. It makes me very anxious as a pastor who know people and, and also know God's word. But it's not that, that's not the main reason why we're doing this. Is it because the trend and culture that's developing amongst Christ followers is concerning the church? It is concerning the church. It is concerning the church and church leadership with a culture that's, that a Christ follower doesn't have to belong to a church or even gather in a local church. We can, we can join a church online now and you can be shepherded by an online pastor. Churches are paying pastors to sit and do online connections with you. And you think you're talking to the pastor, in the meantime you're talking to the admin clerk on Facebook, signing in saying, hi, blessed you, thank you for coming to church, or, and they're calling online church. Um, a, a friend of mine said, uh, I read this on Twitter, the guy says, um, Virch, if it's virtual, it's not church. In other words, if it's virtual reality, it's not church. Don't fool yourself that virtual online sitting in front of a computer or TV screen is church. No, church is a gathering. 
So why are we doing it? Why, what are we going to do about it? So let me read a quote from Ian Harbour. He wrote this article for the Gospel Coalition. And listen to what he says here. With a vehicle, so you're all aware that Henry Ford was the man that made vehicles um, accessible for every person. His dream was that every American would own their own personal vehicle and could then travel and do what they needed to do in their lives. But this is what Ian Harbour and Patrick Miller says. With a vehicle, Christians could suddenly attend whichever church had the best children's ministry program, youth activities, and rock and roll Sunday morning worship services. As long as it was within 10 and, 20 and 30 minutes, it sounds like it's London. As long as church is 10 or 20 minutes away, I'm going to get there, um, of driving. We became consumers because we could be consumers. Indeed, churches appealed to our consumerism by offering a menu of ministries so expansive it would make cheese factory server blush or cheese fac cheesecake factory server blush. What they're saying is because we have options and we can take them, we are taking them. And we're not choosing to stick, we're choosing to go where we feel is the best. If you've got an iPhone or you've got a YouTube and Facebook, etc., you can literally feel you're part of a community by just clicking on and watching the, or listening to the iPod and the podcast. But this impact is growing and it's becoming uncomfortable about our future. It's, we're becoming as a society more and more isolated. Society, COVID has done it and we all got, we hated COVID because of the isolation and actually what's happened is before COVID, there's been a trend towards isolation in society. We can live in our own home. We don't have to mingle. Like I said, um, to the, um, we did a men's weekend in Cape Town, and I said to the guys, the average, average male in America at the moment, and they trendsetters globally because of these things, the average male, only 29% says they've got one good friend. Ten years ago, they could claim 40% of Americans that said I had four or five good friends. In 10 years, the shift is going towards, I've got one friend, maybe two friends, and that's it. We're becoming more and more isolated as a society. I don't know if you've noticed, but um, Mark Zuckerberg, the owner and developer of Facebook, um, has changed their company name to Meta. Anybody notice that? Am I just, anybody notice Meta? So his desire is to create what he calls a metaverse, or not the universe, but a metaverse. And the metaverse is this idea where you can uh, massively scale up and, and, and in, sorry, what's it? Interportable network and relationship with 3D virtual. He's creating this 3D wor virtual world that they reckon between five and ten years from now will be, everybody will have it. Where you could literally sit in your room and you can project who you are. You can design yourself on a computer and project almost like an avatar. Do you, I don't know if you know what an avatar is, but an avatar to the world. And you can present who you want to the world with ever, without anybody ever seeing who you really are. And you can interact with other people in 3D, almost like they're in the room with you, but through an avatar that you don't even know who's really sitting opposite you. And we're becoming, and his dream is that in five to 10 years, this is how we would work. We would, you could design your own identity, your own context, your own history. You can design where you live without the person that you're interacting with ever knowing who you are and what you are like. And he reckons we will be working like this, we will be socializing, we will be doing sport, and we will be doing work and, and social interactions like this into the future. In our lounges, with our little goggles or Google goggles, acting and being something that we're not really. That's not, this, that's not the meta tune. But he's, he's creating this fake sense of who you are. And Ian Harbour says this, in the future, in the next five to ten years plus, the church may be the last place that accepts you as you were made, not as you projected. 
They're predicting that in the future to find people and to interact with people with who they really are and how they were made and not what they're projecting on the computer screen, they reckon the church will be one of the only societies left on the planet where you'll walk into a room and see people for who they are and what they're like without any projection of who they really want to be. I don't know how you feel when you read these things. And I'm not one of these big conspiracy theorists, and I, I really don't. I, I've got enough kids that like, like those theories. But I am concerned if you look at just society and what's happening with isolation. I am concerned that the world is moving towards, I can work from home, I can do everything from home, I can shop from home. Checkers, 60 minutes, pick and pay, to my door. It's becoming normal to just, on a computer screen, type, don't interact, Give, give me my, my groceries, I'm out of there, don't have to ever interact with a cashier again, don't even have to leave home, etc. And so it's in this backdrop. And then the backdrop of what's happening in church life across the globe, not in East London, not in Joburg and Cape Town, across the globe. This idea that Christ followers see church attendance as an as a option to their lives, as something, if I've got enough time or energy, I'm going to get there maybe if I could make it on a Sunday. So why do, we, or why, does, why do you and I gathering regularly at church on a Sunday matter to God? It does matter to Him. I'm going to hopefully this morning just help you with that. First of all, we have to look at how God defines the church. So I've had many friends saying to you, Honor, when I'm with two Christian guys surfing at Nahoon Reef on a Saturday or Sunday morning, we are the church. Yes, you are a Christ follower and you are surfing together whether you are the church or not. Scripture wouldn't necessarily define that as a church gathering. It will define it as a few Christians surfing together. So, But how does God define and how does God see the church and the people gathered towards him? First, we have to look at God's scripture. And God's defi- What's interesting about modern society is that we, we are quite clever. We think we are, and we kind of like, we want to define things the way that suits us, isn't it? We want to redefine church. We want to redefine family. We want to redefine sexuality. We want to redefine the world as human beings in the 21st century. We almost feel like we have the right and the privilege to redefine everything, and it's even impacted in our definition of church. So let's look at the local church and the way God defines the local church. And he uses the language of assembly, of getting together, as gathering together, leaving your home, your isolation, and gathering with people that are nothing and no one like you, that the only thing you have in common is Christ and what he's done for you, and we choose to gather together. And that's the language God uses. God has saved us from individualism, and he's brought us into a corporate assembly. In the Old Testament, the, word, the Greek word that's used for the assembly is called ecclesia, and many of you know this word. I mean, the Israelites, and the, the scripture has gathered the, um, the, the day of the assembly. Sundays or their Sabbaths were called the day of the gathering. Like all the, all the Christians, all those who love Jesus, all, every Israelite and every Jew gathered on that day. They left everything they did and they gathered together. The day of the gathering. Or the assembly of the Lord. Hey, have you ever thought of when, you, when you're gathering on a Sunday that this is the gathering of the Lord? These are his people standing together, gathering together. The assembly of Israel is spoken about, the, the people that God has created, assembling, gathering together. Centuries later, even King Solomon prayed and spoke a blessing at all assembled together. The people of God in the Old Testament gathered. It's what they did. So when I belong to God, I, we gathered together. We saw that in Jesus' birth, what were they doing? They were gathering. They were moving towards a gathering, it was called, in that time. In the New Testament, the same word, ecclesia, is used. The same word in the Old Testament used 
Local churches are gatherings, people that fellowship together. The, we use the word fellowship or, or assembly together as well. We see that the churches regularly gather. Paul uses phrases like, when you come together as the church, do this and don't do this. He, he, he gives us um, wisdom in what to do. The whole church in Corinthians says, the whole church comes together. What would this building look like today if everybody that belonged to everyday people this side of the river decided we are going to gather. I promise you, we would not have enough chairs in this building. That's how many people consider themselves part of every day, just here in Greenfields. We would have to carry chairs in, we would have to squash, and we'd have to break some COVID rules, which we're not going to do. I'm just saying. But this idea of when the whole church gathers, so when there's someone missing, we, we're not the whole church gathering. There's, there's brothers and sisters missing. There are seats open amongst us. They represent folk for whatever reason, just could not get to church this morning. And something in us should go, there's part of us missing this morning. There's part of us, we're not, we're not the whole church gathered. And the reality is that only one day in eternity will the whole church gather. One day in eternity, the whole church is going to gather. Revelation speaks of that. In the church, I would rather speak five words with, with, with my mind in order to instruct others than speaking in tongues or 10,000 words in tongues. Why? Because it matters in the gathering that we all understand what God is doing. Even large churches met in the New Testament. Thousands of believers gathered together, all together in, at Solomon's portico, um, like a big um, amphitheater. Jesus tells his disciples also that these Christians, where, where I am, where I am in your midst. Did you realize this morning when we gather together like this in his name, because of him, that Jesus presents himself in our midst? Are you aware that the holy God that created the universe chooses to presence himself in our midst this morning? We weren't just singing at God, to God. We were singing with him in the room. He was with us in the room receiving our worship. And one day, God's people will all gather together. A great multitude in Revelation speaks of a gathering of people. Can you see that God is the gathering God? He's the God of the assemblies. He, he loves seeing his people come together. It also matters to God because the gathering of his saints in the church is his son's body here on earth. We represent, as we gather this morning, the body of Christ. What an incredibly humbling and privileged idea and thought and, and thing to know and truth to understand that we this year is the body of Christ. When we gather like this, this is his body. We represent the body in Christ. And you're going, whoa, I'm not so sure. Honor, do you know who's sitting next to me? Do you know who these guys are? Do you know what they're like? We're full of spots and blemishes, aren't we? we, we I'm like that. I'm going, are you, are you happy that I'm part of the body of Christ? And together we make the body of Christ. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, in other words, saved by Christ, and called to be his holy people. See, God continuously calls us to be a people. He calls us into community. He calls us to be gathered together. There, Lord, our God, grace and peace to you from God. Paul speaks his incredible blessing to the gathered church of God. He's saying, as you gather as my people, the people that God is building, a church becomes a church in the gathering. Everyday people is everyday people when we gather like this. Claire and I have been away for, I've been away for five weeks. You walk in and you feel, these are my people. I'm home amongst 
my own kind. This is the body that I belong to. They belong to me and I belong to them. And we've known each other for, for a decade or two, even more. But hey, these are my people. I belong here. And when I walk in here, then I'm going, now we church. This is church. We have, we've um, planted Beacon Bay. And every now and then, some folk in Beacon Bay will say, we're going to sneak into the morning congregation. Why? Because they miss the gathered church of God. They, they miss that, 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 that church that they, that they came from. Was said. Luke and Lauren are asking, who, how are they doing? How are they, why? Because they believe and they know that they were part of this body. But they're no longer part of this. this they are now part of a Cape Town expression of Christ. But church becomes church when we gather. Church is not church when we're online. So by now you would have heard that I'm not the greatest fan. I think online can help the gospel. I think online can serve people in their faith, but it's never, ever going to replace this. No online, no virtual, no metaverse can ever replace this this morning. Every single one of you took a decision this morning to leave home in isolation to be together in the room for one another, for ourselves, but ultimately for God. Secondly, it matters to God because gathering is what his son did and called us to. Jesus, and the Bible tells us, Jesus went to Nazareth. We had been brought up on the Sabbath day when he went to the synagogue as he was custom. On a Sabbath, what do we do? We gathered. And even Jesus did that. Jesus gathered. On the Sabbath, Jesus found the church, went to the synagogue, and gathered like all the other believers did. And if Jesus did it, it's good enough for me. Hey, like we all know, hey, let's be like Jesus. Okay, gather. Easy, let's go home. Isn't that everybody's desire as a Christian is to do what Jesus did or what would Jesus do? I wish we could bring some of those things out again. Like what would Jesus do and go, go to church? Like Jesus would, Jesus literally every Sunday would be in church with his, with his people. That's what he would do. That's what he did. And he calls us to that. He, he says, remember the Sabbath. Remember Christians. This is the Lord's Day. The old school theologians how many of you grew up, this, don't be shy now, that where Sundays were called the Lord's Day in your day? Be, be honest, like, okay, brilliant. There's something in me that almost wants to fight for that again, going, hey, Sundays, yes, it's a fun day, but it's actually not, it's, Lord's, it's the Lord's Day. It's God's day of rest and where we gather with his people. There's a beauty in that. And if Jesus was the perfect man and he obeyed his father by gathering, then we should do the same. If I follow Jesus, I'm going to follow him to church. <laughs> hey, I'm going to follow him to his people and together. Thirdly, it matters to, G- to God because Jesus is betrothed to the church. Engaged to the church is another word in our language today. Jesus is engaged to the, body of the, the gathered body of Christ. This is the gathered bride of Christ. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 2 says this, For I feel a divine jealousy for you. This is, this is like Paul speaking, a jealousy. Since I betrothed you to one husband, he's speaking of Jesus here, to present you um, as pure and virgin to Christ. Paul is speaking, I'm jealous for you because you don't belong to me, you belong to Christ. You are betrothed to Jesus and my job is to present you perfect as the perfect bride to Jesus that is coming for his bride. In the second coming of Christ, he's returning for his bride, for the gathered church he is returning and paul speaks of a jealousy saying and, and, and so honor would speak like this everyday people i'm jealous for you but you're not mine you're his and my job is to make sure that you are spotless and beautiful for jesus because he's coming for you not me and when he comes i'm going to be amongst you and i'm going to be part of that bride you see the language that paul is using here 
And this is the gathered church. And Paul is speaking over the church saying, I love you, but you're not mine. You don't belong to me. You belong to Jesus. Your pastors and your elders, we love you, but you're not ours. You're his. You're his. You belong to him. And he is coming for you. How many of you walk into church when you gather like this and going, hey, the bride's gathering. The bride's coming together. Hey, the bride's ready for Jesus. How many of you over the last year have said, please come, Lord Jesus? Like, can you just hurry up and come? There should be something in a bride waiting for a groom that's anxious for his return. Hey, some Sundays when we worship and worship was amazing and full of energy this morning, there's something in me goes, this is amazing, but there's, there's one massive bridal party coming one day. Hey, where songs won't stop, where dancing won't stop, where groans won't get injured and, and muscles pulled, we will worship him and we will do it together. There won't be one person missing in that assembly. Can you, I can't wait for that day. And when we gather as a church, we represent the bride of Christ we also give each other and one another a taste of that eternity that's coming. I don't know about you, but for me, when we gather like this and we worship and we, and we make much about Jesus, something in me explodes and makes me even more hungry for eternity. I'm sure I'm not the only one, only one in the room that goes, oh, this is good enough, I'll settle for this, this is fine. No, no, there has to be something that hungers for more. Ephesians 5 speaks of a, a husband that loves and lays down his life for his wife, and he speaks of Christ his relationship to the church, how Christ as a husband to the church laid down his life and served the church. This assembly that Christ laid down and he calls us to lay down our lives for his bride too. We sacrifice to do this. Jesus has not left his bride and neither should we. Jesus did not divorce. He hasn't walked away from his bride. But many, many in our day are walking away from the bride, the gathered bride of Christ. And I just want to caution us not to do what Jesus isn't doing. Jesus has never been more committed to his bride. That commitment has not stopped and it will not slow down. And he is coming back for his gathered church together. Let's do the same. Let's lay down our lives for this bride. It's interesting when you read the New Testament where Saul is, Saul is persecuting the church in the in, in in, in the New Testament. And Jesus confronts him. He knocks him off his horse. Remember that scene? And you know what Jesus says to, says, to, says to Saul? It becomes Paul. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus doesn't say, Saul, why are you persecuting the church or my church? He says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus does not do this between him and the church. For Jesus, when you touch the church, you touch him. Because it's his body. It's his bride. If you, touch, if you do anything to Claire, you're going to get honor with it. Honor is going to do something if you hurt my wife. I'm not going to stand back and go, that's Claire's business, this is my business, you get on with it. None of us would do that. It just doesn't make sense. It's not, we know that's not, not the way this works. And Jesus to, to Saul says to him, when he's persecuting the church, Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus takes ownership. He says, this is me. You might as well be doing this to me. Saul, stop persecuting me. Next, it matters to God as it is a significant vehicle of God's grace to us. It matters because this is the way that God has chosen to, to grace your faith and to strengthen your faith and to build your faith and to build your relationship with Him. God has chosen the church as the vehicle of, 
of the significant vehicle of grace towards your life. This gathering is the most significant vehicle of grace to your faith as a Christ follower. Yes, you can read your Bible on your own. Yes, you can listen to worship music on your iPhone. Yes, you can hang at life group, etc. But this is the vehicle that God has chosen. Not, not me. He has chosen that this is the vehicle that strengthens and grows your faith and your fellowship of Jesus. And if God has decided that is good for me, as Christ follows, we should be saying, hey, we inf- we wanna, what God is, what's good for us from God, we're going to go with that. I'm not going to decide what's good for me. I'm going to decide and submit to what is good for God. The reason corporate worship um, may be our single most important weekly habit is it's the one or the greatest weapon of it is we fight for joy together. Corporate worship is where we combine, we all come together and we, we fight for worship. We, we drag our hearts sometimes towards worship. Some of us this morning got to church and did not feel like singing one song. Did not, didn't feel like even being in the room. And you're going to hopefully walk out of here with your spirit lifted and, a, and your faith restored a bit. Maybe for you the only thing that happened today was you confessed to God that he's greater than your anxiety. And you're going to walk, you get in your car and you're going to go, God, I do trust you that you are greater. Maybe it's going to be one line in the songs we sang that you're going to sing on your way home that's going to remind you of the amazing grace and the, the bigness of God. Perhaps it's going to be one conversation that you had, yeah, and you're going to take that home and go, hey, I belong to a body. I'm not on my own. I'm not isolated. Acts 2 verse 42 speaks about when we gathered, we, were, we, we sat under the preached word of God. We sat under the preached word of God. That's where you are more privileged than I have. You, more Sundays in your life do you sit under the word of God than I do. I'm the guy preaching most Sundays. But the benefit of our lives when we sit under preached, so I watch YouTube videos or I go to church and Luke preaches and I sit or Sia preaches and Anna will sit in the front row and just listen because it's good for me to not be in charge and, what I, and listen to what God says, not what I want to say about this world. We pray together. We break bread together. Do you know that this meal in Scripture, we can do it in homes. I don't, we, we don't believe in a religious system where you can't do it in your home on your own. But this meal was designed for when we gather together. It was a, it, it's communion. It is a community meal. This meal is designed and made by Christ. When you gather, when you are together, when you leave your isolation and you gather, now we break bread together. Why? Because it reminds us of why we're in the room. Why am I gathering? I'm gathering around Christ. I'm gathering around God. And then we share everything. So maybe on, on, at church you'll be talking to friends and hear that something really bad happened during the week and you get to share some of your means towards them and help people. Can you see God's incredible grace to, to us through the church? It matters to God because it's what He's making and building and creating and forming God is in the process of making for himself a people on this earth. It's the one business, it's the business that God's busy with, is shaping and forming a people for himself. And we see it in the Old Testament, and we see it in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, when um, Liesl Ann read out of Exodus this morning, Exodus 6 or 7, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am your Lord, Lord, Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the bur- burdens of the Egyptians. This is God's promise. He's saying, I'm not just saving you and leaving you on your own. I'm saving you as a people gathered towards me and around me. The New Testament, we know this one well, 
1 Peter 2 verse 9. This is Peter speaking to a church in, Christians in exile. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Who do we belong to? We God. The church belongs to God. We are Jesus' bride, as I said earlier. That you may proclaim the excellence of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And others proclaim the gospel. Verse 10. Listen to this. Once you were not a people. And that word people is a collective noun. Once you were on your own. Once you were an orphan. Once you didn't have a family. Once you didn't have a God. Once you didn't belong. You, you had no one taking ownership of you or care of you. Once you were not a people. But now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy. In other words, the gospel and grace and forgiveness. But now you have received mercy. See, the number one thing, you say, what is God doing on the planet right now? The only thing that you and I can say with confidence is that God is building and forming and shaping a people for himself. That is what God is doing. If anybody says, what do you think God's doing? He's shaping a people. What do you think God is? He's making a people towards himself. God is gathering a people. He's, he's gathering his sons and daughters into families, into local churches, and they gather together. Once you were not, before Christ, you and I were orphans. The language is, is you were orphaned, you did not have a father. The language is that God adopted us into a family. You see this? It's a collective noun. Everything God does is collective. It's not, I, I adopted you and left you, and no, I adopted you into a family, into a belonging. We were, we were created by a community, the Trinity, for community, to community. You and I were born into a community, into a family. And as I land this morning, I want to remind you that church, I want to just confess this with you. Church is messy. Gathering like this is messy. Hang around long enough. If you're just visiting and you think, wow, what an amazing church, hang around you're going to discover some messiness amongst us. It's true. Just add people together, you're going to discover a bit of mess. Get to, get, to know your, get to know your friends and brothers a bit, and you're going to quickly discover there's some stuff that you're not quite on the same page with. It's messy. And, that, and God is okay with that. But I don't think the messiness of church surprises or, or catches God by, 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 by surprise. It's complicated. Hey? It's not just straightforward. It's complicated. To belong to a church that's diverse and that loves Jesus. It's inconvenient. There are many Sundays where you can go, there are better things for me to do with my time. I'm going to say no to the stuff that I need to do. The washing, <laughs> the ironing, seeing my friends, just chilling at home. And saying no to that and saying yes to being together. There's some inconvenience in, in following Jesus and gathering as a church. It's uncomfortable to be part of the gathered church. I don't think a healthy church should ever be completely comfortable. I think a healthy church will always have a, an element of discomfort in it, where God is busy shaping and changing us and, and bringing humility into our hearts and, and showing us that we need one another and that we're not all we thought we were, that we actually, hey, we're not as perfect as we thought we were. We've got some things to work through. And maybe these are the very reasons why people walk away from church or gatherings See, I could be in my pajamas watching a church service or listening to a podcast and not have to deal with the messiness of, of other people that I don't really get on with in a building. Or I can, I don't have to deal with the complications. I choose the preachers I like and the worship bands I like 
and I'm just going to keep going there. I'm not going to listen to other guys' preferences and who they like and who they don't like. It's just plain, just more convenient to do my own thing. And this is where we need the gospel. Because it's only the power of the gospel that empowers us and is strong enough to keep us together. It's only understanding that Christ left eternity and heaven and stepped into our uncomfortable, inconvenient, messy world. And when we get that Jesus did that for us, we can say, I'm going to do that for others and I'm going to do that for him. Because he did that for me, I can do this for others. Because Christ did this, I can do this. Because Christ is prepared to step into my messy world and to take on the, the discomfort of earth and the inconvenience of a cross <laughs> for me, I'm prepared to be like Jesus. I'm prepared to step into some mess and discomfort. I'm prepared to, to inconvenience, not because I'm trying to prove my, my loyalty or my faithfulness to Christ. No, because that's what I received from him. He gave that to me so that I can give that to others. So I get out of bed, inconvenient, etc., and I overcome all those things for the bride of Christ to gather together. Because it's in that moment that God graces us. As a grateful and as a, as a thankful response to the gospel and what Jesus did, it can't just end with songs. It can't just be brilliant songs around the cross and the gospel songs that we sing. But as a as a faithful and grateful response to the gospel, just as Jesus in his obedience to the Father moved towards us, we move towards Jesus and his disciples. We move towards one another because he moved towards us. We move towards one another. We move away from isolation. We move away from our comfort zones and, and the convenience of our lives and where we God and we go, you God, this is your people and your people matter more than me. They matter more than my preferences or my comfort. Me being in the room matters more to you than my own needs. And we give ourselves, we give up our independence and our autonomy for his bride, for his people, for our family that we belong to. We sing, we share a meal, we, we submit to one another. We did that this morning. We sang together. <laughs> hey, I was watching Gibbs and I watched Precious with their dance moves and I had a little injury, a touch rugby, and I'm going, I can't keep up, but I'm going to try my best. And, um, and I'm thankful for that. And we get to sing and dance and, and have fun together. It doesn't always have to be staunch and morbid and you're in church now and I suck a lemon and walk in and then you're part of the club. No, there's joy. And I'm going to go home this morning going, yes, it was so much fun to sing songs to God together. And Gibbs and Precious and John and the band helped us do that this morning. But more than us, them singing and performing, we sang together. We have... Uh, this family has some songs to sing. Hey, have you, have you noticed that? Our family has some songs. Every road trip we go on, there's certain songs we always sing in the car. I won't share them all with you. But we've got adult kids now. And they will always want to sing songs that they, when they were growing up, they want to sing some of those old 80s songs with me. And they blurt it and it's loud. It's chaotic. It doesn't always sound in tune. I don't think any of the brains can sing in tune. But it's loud and we love it. And Sundays we get to sing together. Sundays we get to share a meal, our meal. Do you know that there's no other body club society that gets to share this meal with anybody? Only us 
Only us Christ followers, we get to share this meal together. Hey, isn't that special? There's certain meals when we go to the Transcar on holiday, but Chloe and Josh and Keegs will say, if we don't have that, we haven't been on holiday. When we gather, we're going to have our meal together because that's what we do. That's what we do. We, we eat and we drink together and we submit ourselves to his word. We're not submitting to Arno. You're not listening to Arno. You're not listening to Arno's ideas. We submit to God's word. God uses donkeys and preachers to share and to convey his word to us. But our submission is to scripture, not to, not to clever thoughts. No, it's to, to the word of God we submit our lives to. And we do that together. Some of us struggle to do that. Some of us enjoy and love and find it easy to submit. And in the mess we go, hey, I'm going to help you submit to God's word together. And we encourage one another as we gather. Won't you grab your meal, family? And like I said, this is a family meal. If you are not a Christ follower yet, I would, I would rather have you chat to one of our leaders before you're having this meal. But this meal is in Scripture reserved for those who believe in Christ. And so if you don't believe in Christ yet, I would just encourage you to just hang five and maybe chat to one of the leaders in church and, and we can talk to you about that. But if you're part of the family, won't you get your meal ready? Some of these are tough, eh? I'm just making sure I'm not the only one sickling here. One day we will have, in, the, in biblical times, in, in old, old, old school days, they had one cup and they had one loaf. And the whole family would drink from one cup and one, break from one loaf. We're living in different times. But we might have little wafers and we might have individual cups. <laughs> But this is still one body and, and one cup that we're drinking from. This is Christ's body that you and I eat and drink from. And I'll remind you of Ephesians where Jesus speaks and he goes, As a husband laid down his life for his wife, so Christ laid down his life for the church. Christ laid down his life for a people. Jesus didn't just die for honor as an individual. He died so that honor would be part of a family. My birth as a Christian, I'm born into a family. I'm not born again on my own to myself to do my own thing. By his grace and his sovereignty and his bigness, God decided in his wisdom that I should be planted into a family. And when we gather, we express that I'm part of this family. When we have this meal, we're saying, hey, we, brothers and sisters, we are eating our family meal. This is our qualification. Why we can have this meal is that we are part of this family, but it's also our reminder of why we're having this. Why we gather? Because of what Christ has done. Had Jesus not broken his body on the cross and spilled his blood on the cross, you and I would not be sitting in this room now. This would not be happening. This gathering is a, is a gathering around a meal, empowered and even made possible because of what Christ did on the cross. I'm going to pray and thank him. We're going to eat together. And then we're going to sing just a God-glorifying song to end our time with. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you broke your body so that we would never be broken again, that we could find wholeness in you. Thank you that you have born and you have birthed us into family, that you are creating a people and that we get to be part of those people, that people. 
Lord, I pray for us that you would strengthen our resolve, that we would, we, we would find like you did, laying down your own wants for the sake of the joy set before you. The joy set before you, Christ, that one day in, in Greenfields, a church would gather, and they would gather around you and for you and towards you and because of you. And that they would lay down their, their autonomy, they would lay down their, their, their selfishness and their, their, their independence, and they would lay those things down for the sake of a, a body gathered that represents the bride and body of Christ. Thank you for laying down your life for us. Help us lay down our lives for, for the church, for, for your body, for your bride. Thank you for your blood shed on the cross, that you wash us clean. Lord, would you forgive us if we have taken a light view of church and our gatherings. Forgive us if we have taken the gathered church for granted. Forgive us if we've slipped into isolation and individual and, and selfish lifestyles, Lord. We bring those things ask that you would forgive us and make us whole in Jesus' name. Let's eat and drink together as a family.